There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. 5 at 24. It's the legal hour with our legal expert, Ludmilla Yamala. But lots of questions to uh, come to, and we'll get to those if you text it in. So you get the priority uh, at the top of the list. But if you do have something you'd like uh, perspective from Ludmilla, then get in touch with us, 4001, or via the free app is the usual uh, text method, or 423 So uh, let's talk about Cityscape, first of all, because uh, here's a new story today. I suppose this is going to be uh, headlines uh, online and in the papers tomorrow. It's easy developments sell out phase one of their waterfront project. This is uh, it's called Azizi Riviera. They've also sold out phase two, uh, 50% of phase two of the same project. That's on day one at Cityscape. So what it does tell you is that it's desirable and there is demand there. But of course, when you buy off plan, uh, Ludmilla, uh, you've got to know what you're doing. We read that this year you can you know, do everything seamlessly at Cityscape, but don't just jump in because you think, oh, I've got some money to burn. You've got to think this through. Indeed. And so the key document, and I haven't been to the Cityscape this year, um, so I'm not sure exactly what documents developers are relying on this time, but at least historically at Cityscapes or, or shortly thereafter, the first document that investors would see was called a reservation agreement or a booking form. So it was not your full-on sales and purchase agreement, but a reservation agreement and or a booking form. And in, and so that's so the, the first question is is there review the document that you're being asked to um and to, to sign and um and remember any document you sign you w- there will be a document that you have to sign when you part with money and and ultimately at least from from experience whenever you are reserving a property there's an expectation of a deposit or some sort of a payment so whenever you make any sort of a payment just don't make a payment blind that there should be some sort of a document that accompanies that payment that could be by way of for example a booking form a reservation deposit or a full-on sales and purchase agreement but there should there, there should definitely be a document that supports what that payment was made for and and some of the key terms that should be included in the document, obviously, the the the, uh, the property or the name of the project, the developer or the party that is accepting your money and that is developing that project. And make sure that you connect all the dots as well, because often what happens is that the receipt, for example, comes from one party, then, uh, but it's a different party that's actually developing the project. And then there's a third party that is accepting the, the money and so on and so forth. So make sure that all the things add up. And they're fairly simple. And this is irrespective of whether you're signing some sort of a simple or simplified document that to support the, that deposit or the first payment or if it's a reservation agreement or a sales or purchase agreement. And number one is who is the party that with whom you're entering into a contract. And and as I say, the word contract, it's very important to, to remind and highlight that a reservation form or booking form, just because it says a form, because it does not say I'm a contract or I'm an agreement, does not make it so. So any kind of a document we, that you sign is a contract. It doesn't need to say that it's a contract. It doesn't need to be 15 pages to be a contract. It could be a paragraph. Anything that creates an obligation is a contract. So so, so look at that. Remember, each one of these documents that you will be signing is a contract, um, and it's just the terms and conditions of the contract that you, you will ultimately need to establish. So some of the important terms to look at, number one, who is the 
the party with whom you enter into that contract and make sure that that party is the actual party who will be responsible responsible for de- delivering the project because often what happens is that these contracts are signed by real estate brokers with all due respect the real estate brokers are not going to be the ones actually delivering the project so ultimate obligation is not going to come from them so it really should be by the the, the party or the company that's actually going to be to de- develop that project number two is the name of the project itself very often we've seen details missing something as basic as that what is the name of the project and often there are projects that are named similarly especially if they're if it's a complex of multiple towers so you want to make sure that all the specifics of that project are included in the contract and then number three is the property the de- uh, description of the property so which which building which unit and then all the specifications of the property and that is the size of the property is very important and the um and why that is is because in the past there have been a lot of uh, disputes regarding how the size of the property is calculated. So, and that's in particular gross versus net. So often, for example, the contract will say, well, it's 2,000 square feet, and when the property is delivered, it's more like 1,500 square feet. And then there's a lot of this kind of going back through uh, through the agreement. Well, it's actually wasn't net, it was gross, and so the gross, uh, so the other 500 were um, a, a contribu- or attributable to, let's say, common property or common space. Um, so make sure what you understand what size of the property you're buying and what the specific the properties are and then obviously price and that's important and then how that price is going to be paid because this is off plan so most off plan properties today are still being paid in installments so you want to make sure that you know what those installments are and what they're related to whether it's going to be timelines or milestones and by law they really should be linked to construction milestones um, the next one, the next important term is completion date, by which time you ex- you expect for the property to be completed. And that should be included in the first document that you sign because that is an essential element of buying a property, off-plan property. You need to know when it's going to be, um, it's going to be delivered. And then some of the other things is the, uh, the DLD or the registration fee uh, paid to the, reg- uh, to the uh, land department. In the past, for off-plan properties, all you need to do is just pay the 1,000 OCUD registration and you paid the 4% or at that time was 2% and then became 4% uh, once the property is completed. That is no longer the practice. Now the, uh, the rule is that you pay the 4% uh, upon signing of the agreement. So you want to make sure that that particular term is clearly uh, addressed and when you're going to have, when you'll have to pay the 4%, what the 4% is and who is going to be paying. Is it going to be you? Is it going to be split between the developer and you? And, um, and I guess the last in- important part is the brokerage fees because often there are always brokerage fees that are added on top of these um, uh, off-plan property sales so you want to make sure that that's that particular term is addressed and uh, and as a result who's going to be responsible is it going to be 50 50 or is it going to be just just you and um, so those are some, some of the most important uh, parts and then one other one is deposit how the, the terms of the deposit, because often what happens is, and we've, we've received a lot of calls on, on this show about this, uh, well, I gave a deposit and now I've changed my mind, so what can I do? Well, it all depends on how the deposit is described in that particular agreement. So you uh, make sure you understand uh, whether that re- deposit can be refundable um, and, and what the, the terms of that refund would be. And I guess the final point is the uh, the cancellation of the agreement or termination and the corresponding penalties in the event, for example, either the developer does not perform or you change your mind. 
Wow, breathe. Okay. <sighs> this is when you're just buying off plan. Those are all that. So we've got kind of nine points there. Uh, we'll come back and uh, reiterate those in a moment. But lots of people interested in property. There is demand, obviously, at Cityscape. We mentioned one development there, which has sold out phase one, half of phase two. That's in day one of Cityscape, just today, uh, and in the build-up to the event as well. So a few bits and pieces there. Questions are coming in for Ludmilla. Legal questions. Uh, let me see. Some anonymously, uh, some not. We'll come back and answer some of those. Also, we get questions through uh, other digital means, not just in by text. There's one that came in, I believe, over uh, Twitter. There's a couple of email questions, uh, NLT to get to. We're coming back to those in a few minutes. Ludmilla Yamalova is here for the Legal Hour from Yamalova and Plethka. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Legal Hour on Drive Live. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Pleska. I think we're just going to kick off with some of the questions. We have so many today. This one came in on email. It says, a contract worker for a residential hotel visited my apartment to change some furniture. He recognized a resident of said apartment and publicly revealed the address on social media, including the exact apartment number. The comment was seen by lots and lots of people online and the resident no longer feels comfortable living there anymore. They have tried to talk to the landlord about the problem, getting out of the contract, but they don't seem to be understanding the issue. They've also spoken to the apartment building and they feel they're partly responsible because it was their contract worker. Is there any kind of privacy or tenancy law that could support this person, Ludmilla? The, 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 the building owners have said the contract workers should pay the penalty fee to exit the contract early, but the landlord wants a full seven months left on the contract. There is no end clause in the contract. What can this tenant do to get out of the contract early? Okay, well, this is a fairly multifaceted question uh, because there are different parties involved and different types of uh, breaches of law. Um, so number one, there are at least three parties other than obviously the tenant or the um, the victim. So you have the contractor, or the subcontractor, you have the landlord, and you have the hotel. And, and there's a different cause of action uh, against each one of those parties. So let's start with the simplest one, and that's the landlord. I mean, even though it may sound most complicated, but in many ways it's, it's the simplest one because the landlord really is not involved in this incident. They are not at fault because they did nothing wrong. It was not... It was not them or the, it was not the landlord who had revealed this information and therefore prejudiced the tenant. Uh, so the, for the landlord to continue to want uh, to hold the tenant responsible for the remainder of the contract, it's, it's we understand the logic behind it. And since he was not at fault and he did not commit any wrongdoing, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't see that, that he needs to compensate the tenant for an early termination. So therefore, in that case, there isn't really much of a case against the landlord. Um, however, let's say if the tenant's if the conditions have become so unbearable that the tenant does want to move out, then therefore he will ultimately incur the loss of this seven extra months of, of tenancy, which he will not get the benefit off, but the landlord insists on. And since there is not really a breach of contract uh, from the landlord, it will be the tenant that will be breaching the contract early and therefore will uh, may ultimately have to pay the seven months. So let's say, so now the tenant has suffered this, uh, the damage of the financial damage uh, to the tune of seven months of, of tenants of rent. Uh, so at this point now we have the other two parties left and that's the contractor and the hotel. And in many ways, it, they should be treated as one the same. Just because it's a subcontractor, it's because they were hired by the hotel, so they are considered in legal terms an agent of the hotel, and therefore they should really be considered as one party. And so the 
in this case, the uh, the tenant would have a cause of action against either both of them or individually, and it's always better to bring them together. And the the claims fall under two categories. One is criminal, one is civil. So because the information that has been revealed, if we understand the question correctly, and that is the private private information about the tenant, including uh, the the whereabouts, the specific whereabouts of the tenant, um, that would amount to breach of privacy. And in the UAE, breach of privacy is considered to be a criminal offense. And so therefore, that particular claim would be filed uh, as a criminal case uh, against, and it could be filed against the contractor and against the hotel. Now, in the criminal case, there isn't, there are, and there are no monetary uh, compensation uh, payments that will be due to the tenant because that's a criminal case. It's basically the state that's bringing the case on behalf of uh, of the party, and uh, uh, while the perpetrator would uh, would be subject to, for example, the various various punishments, including perha- perhaps imprisonment and penalties, those penalties will not be carried through to the victim. In other words, if the if the um, contractor or the hotel are found have, uh, to have committed a crime by virtue of breaching uh, privacy, uh, there could be and it will be fined to the tune of whatever they will be fined, but that fine will not be transferred over to the tenant. So in this case, the tenant might feel vindicated by having the parties uh, having the parties be responsible for the actions, uh, but financially he will still be uh, at a loss of at least seven months of rent. So in that case, the tenant also has a claim for a, c- a civil claim against, again, one of these other parties, and that would be the contractor and the hotel or you know one or the other. Uh, and that would be uh, for the damages that he had suffered as a result of this criminal act. And so in this case, if he can show that, in fact, he did overpay for the seven months which, uh, during which he did not want to stay in the apartment and he moved out early, and therefore he didn't have the benefit of that property, then he would be able to bring a civil claim for the seven months. So this is kind of a, a, a very general answer to some of the more important aspects of, of this um, of this fact. Also, there is a claim, uh, there is there, there could be a dispute regarding the termination clause or in the payment of the termination of the agreement early with vis-a-vis the landlord, and that is the landlord wants the remainder of the contract to be paid out. Uh, but if uh, the tenant brings the case against the, um, uh, against the landlord at the rent committee and argues for an early termination, it is possible that the, uh, that the rent committee will decide that a smaller amount is appropriate, is more appropriate than, for example, the remainder of the contract. So there's also that claim, but fighting this particular case on three fronts, or actually more like five fronts, because you'll have potentially two, three civil fronts uh, cases and, and um, uh, one or two criminal cases. So f- fighting it on all those fronts would be quite time-consuming and expensive, and I don't know if it'll, it'll be worthwhile, but if there is an emotional at least, uh, incentive for some sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, satisfaction in terms of redress, then the criminal case would probably be the most, the, the speediest one and most effective because these kind of crimes are actually are crimes. And because this was... Also, that information was transmitted through social media, which is mean, means digital domain or digital media. It will also be covered under cyber laws. And the penalties under cyber laws are usually 10 to 15 times the, the, the previous penalty. So they could be, if my memory serves me correctly, anywhere from 200,000 dirhams to 500,000 dirhams. Um, so, but again, that's a penalty. That's a fine on the party, the per- per- perpetrator, not uh, a, a compensation to the tenant. Okay, Ludmilla Yamalava is here. That's our first question today. Uh, Ludmilla is taking calls or texts. Get in touch with us. Usual numbers apply. 4011 free app 423 To the phones we go now. Anonymous question. I know you don't want to put your name out there, but I know it's an employment question. Just put it forward to Ludmilla. 
Is anybody there on the end of the phone? Hello. Hi. Yes, hi. Hi. I know you want to be anonymous. You have an employment question uh, for Luke Miller. Just put your question to her. Yes, okay. Um, Last month, at the end of the month of August, I've resigned on the spot due to personal situations. And um, I've worked with the uh, firm for two years and nine months, and uh, they've agreed to uh, take my resignation on the spot. But when they've handed me my intuity, there were two things that I spotted which seems to be pretty wrong from what I see. Um, It's the uh, annual leave due to my personal situation. Um, January, I have to take the whole annual completely. So I have no leave left and no balance with the firm. Now, in the intuity, it showed me that they took back 11 days, making me pay them back 10000 for that. So that taken off from the Intuity plus the air ticket, the annual air ticket, from uh, prorated from June onwards up to date, which is August, and uh, it came back. And its standard amount is supposed to be three thousand seven hundred, but the amount came down to eight hundred. Now I my contract with the firm is under the UAE labor law, whereas from my understanding the firm is actually under the DIFC law. So from what I understand from my bit of research, it's uh, they've they've basically gone with the DIFC law, but I don't see why I'm supposed to be following the DIFC law. My question is, what they've done right now with my intuity, is this right? Uh, well, as you correctly pointed out, it depends under which law you would fall, whether it's the DIFC employment law, which um, has its own law, or would be under the UAE labor law. Uh, since you said your contract is uh, with uh, under the um, UAE labor law, I'm assuming that you might have been based outside of a free zone and somewhere on the mainland. And therefore, in, in that case, and in fact, it's only the DIFC free zone that is that is excluded from the UAE labor law. All the other free zones, whether you're on the free zone or, or, or on the mainland, are still subject to the UAE labor law. So unless your contract is um, with the DIFC and your visa basically is a DIFC and you're based in the DIFC, you would be subject to the UAE labor law. And so, and it is possible for the same company to be based in both the DIFC, for example, and other free zones and on the mainland. Uh, but as far as your rights and obligations are concerned, you will be subject to uh, the law, or most likely the UAE labor law, unless you're actually working and, and based in the DIFC. Now, under the UAE labor law, it is, um, so from what I understand, you have two questions uh, regarding your the, the end of service payout, and one is regarding the leave, and the other one is the, uh, regarding the annual air, air ticket. If there are other yeah. components that you are interested in, obviously add on, but let me address those two. So with regards to the leave, the UAE labor law does allow for the companies, if, you, if you've taken leave, um, advanced leave, uh, before you actually earned it, uh, then and then you terminate earlier, you resign earlier, then it is, it is allowed uh, for the company to subtract um, that, uh, that leave from your final payout. And that is because you've ultimately, if you will, taken a loan from the company by virtue of taking this extra days of vacation or annual leave, which you have not earned yet. So that is, that is legal under the UAE law, if that is what happened, if I understood your question correctly. Mm-hmm. And with regards to the annual air ticket, that's an interesting one because an um, annual air ticket is a contractual term. It's a contractual benefit. And it is it is uh, separate from the repatriation ticket, which is where uh, there's um, a lot of confusion exists. Uh, annual ticket is not by law required to be given to an employee. Uh, it is, but it's, it's a benefit that a company can offer. It sounds like in your particular case um, was offered. Uh, unless your contract says that you are only you earn this um, annual ticket uh, pro rata over the course of the year, unless it says so, which I would 
I would be surprised if it does. Then, but if uh, so, mo- more, most likely your contract says that you're entitled to an annual ticket. And if it says that, mm-hmm. then basically then you are entitled to the annual ticket ticket without the parata deductions. If there are any other uh, any other components of your payout that that you felt no you were no. No, those were my two most concerns, honestly. So from what I understand from your end is that basically what they did was was correct. It's There's nothing wrong with that. Except the, air, the annual ticket, the, you should yeah. get the value of the annual ticket. That that should okay. that should be paid in, in full unless the clause clearly makes it uh, uh, sort of earned over the course of the year. But mm-hmm. it's unlikely because I haven't seen one drafted like that. But obviously yeah, that could be wrong. No, no. All right, Anonymous. Appreciate right, you calling. Appreciate All best. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thanks. Right. More Welcome. calls, texts, send the three four double zero one. The free app or four two three ten ten. Very limited space. We're going to go to quick fire answers to. All the texts that have come in with Ludmilla Mulliver next. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai I 1038 FM. Legal Hour on Drive Live. Ludmilla, we have lots of questions in a short bit of time, so we'll get straight on with them. This one um, is coming from Kumar. He says, hi, please advise if that will be applied on purchase of off-plan properties from a developer. Also, if you opt to buy an off-plan property from the secondary market, will that be applied? Uh, well, so the law is, at least part of the law right now, has made it clear that for the first three years after the completion of the, uh, uh, the off-plan properties will be um, will be exempt from VAT. And also, in general, the residential property are not subject to VAT, but commercial are. Uh, however, the law also refers to bylaws. So to be honest with you, just to understand that particular point more, um, uh, or I guess more accurately, we need to wait for the bylaws to be issued. Okay, here's another one for you. Hi, Ludmilla. My wife's going to leave Dubai next year. I'm going to stay on for a few months to sell our jointly owned property. It's in Rasselkema. We'd like to set up a power of attorney so that she doesn't have to fly back to sign off on a sale. How straightforward is that in the UAE? How much will it cost, asks Brian. Okay, it can be fairly straightforward because most of it you can do yourself. You just need to make sure that the power of attorney is specific enough. So since this is RAC, you would you would go to a notary, preferably in perhaps in RAC but, or in Dubai. Buy, it doesn't really matter uh, because it's it's federal. But you want to make sure that in the power of attorney, the specific property details are listed. And I will tell you, at least in Dubai these days, when you do a power of attorney and you include a sale of a, of a property, the uh, the notary actually wants to see the original title deed, you uh, know, before they uh, or it, I guess in parallel of uh, notarizing that power of attorney. So make sure that you have the original title deed when you go to the notary uh, and uh, mention the specific details of that particular property because with that you will not be able without those details you will not be able to sell the property so that's one important element that to be or clause included in the POA the other one is the ability for you to accept money on behalf of uh, of your wife uh, because she is the other 50% owner sounds like uh, so you need to make sure you have a clause in the POA that allows you to, to receive money but be mindful at least in Dubai RAC is maybe a little more relaxed in this regard but in Dubai the land department will not allow for you even with that kind of power attorney to actually accept money on behalf of your wife but you you will be allowed for example to accept a check in her name and so in RAC I would be prepare I would, I'd prepare yourself to proceed on the same basis and that is make sure that you there is still a bank account in the UAE that your wife um, is listed on so that once you get a check in her name that you'll be able to deposit uh, for her without her having to come back into the country. Okay, I was awarded a real estate case in May. It went to execution but still in payment. The Emirati businessman that's due to pay is hiding his funds. Is this normal? And if so, what's the success rate? Just for further info, he appealed the court decision at two different courts and lost twice. 
Uh, well, this is normal in many different ways. It's normal for cases to be appealed all the way to the Court of Cassation. This is sort of a standard practice here because appeals are not that, relatively speaking, not that expensive and not that complicated from a legal standpoint. So therefore, this practice is quite um, uh, is quite uh, standard, so if you will, or at least common. Uh, with regards to the hiding of the funds, that too is normal, not just here, but everywhere else. Whoever does not want to pay, uh, the, the natural tendency is to want to hide funds so that they're not reachable by them. Um, by the courts. Um, so that too happens and, and is quite common now. What's the success rate and what you can do? So you just need to make sure that uh, that you have actually filed enforcement proceedings. And I'm not sure if you actually have done that. Uh, so you said ex- execution, which sounds like it's, it's, it is enforcement. Usually with enforcement, the court, you will be appealing to the court for them to seize different assets that belong to this party. And so that would, uh, would apply to all the bank accounts uh, and let's say RTA, cars, vehicles, uh, boats, what have you that might be registered to his name the land department and then various company registrars so anything you can find that belongs to that uh, to that party would therefore fall under the jurisdiction of the court to seize and then liquidate to satisfy the judgment but that is um, it, it's it's that's the normal process here and it's a process process in most most other countries and here in fact it's a lot more effective uh, in terms of being able to seize those funds fairly quickly once you have a final judgment um, so but at the end of the day if, if those funds if, if the judgment is against the individual and that individual has already transferred or sold off all all the funds um, in practical terms you may not be able to chase anything because there's nothing else to to chase so it, it could be an unfortunate result at the end but if it's if it's an individual usually there's something that you might be able to find that's attached to their name okay Ludmilla Yamalabas from Yamala Room Plethka that's all the time we've got today if you've texted in we will keep the questions for next week Ludmilla's going to join us uh, at the same time Monday afternoons at 5 for today really good to see you thank you Ludmilla you're welcome thank you there's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.